Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, you're listening to episode 15 of The Thump Podcast, your weekly sweaty and sleep-deprived dive into the world of electronic music and club culture. I'm Colin Joyce, Thump's managing editor and your host this week, filling in for Emily Friedlander. With me, I have a panel of Thump editors here to talk about some recent developments in the periphery of house music. Uh, Does everyone want to introduce themselves? I'm Ezra Marcus, and I'm the associate editor. I'm David Garber, and I'm also the associate editor alongside Ezra. I'm Michelle Luke, and I'm the Features Editor. Thanks for joining me, everybody. Uh, So yeah, house music is obviously a big part of the foundation of all of the dance music that we cover on a day-to-day basis. I guess the super short version of the history is that it it started to get codified in Chicago in the early 80s around uh, the late Frankie Knuckles sets at a legendary club called The Warehouse, hence the name House. It wasn't really a genre when it started, so much as it was whatever Knuckles and the DJs in his orbit wanted to play. So it could be a disco record, or it could be what we consider to be house music now, or it could be something totally offbeat. And obviously it bears mentioning, as with so much of America's great music, that many of its first adopters, both DJs and aficionados, were queer people of color. But that's changed a lot over the years. Um, The terms basically come to mean any sort of light, airy music with a consistent kick drum to it, um, from what gets played in Ibiza clubs to uh, crate digging festivals across the globe. There's been uh, so many shifts in the sound over time, but as a piece written by Larry Fitzmorris for us last year suggests, uh, its most popular forms have sort of remained static for a bit. So I thought this week it'd be good to talk about a couple of the trends happening in the sparsely populated outskirts of what we now call house music. Uh, Namely, I wanted to talk about what's happening in the world of lo-fi house, which we've talked a little bit on this podcast about before, as well as a new crew of house producers who've started branching out into more formless, beatless music. We'll also talk about a group of house music deconstructionists who are using the sounds and grammars of the music to make something different altogether. David, we've talked a bit about this on the cast before, but lo-fi house, can you give me the very basic description of what we're working with here? You know, kind of as the name would suggest, lo-fi house, you know, it's kind of like low fidelity doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the quality. Um, It's more that it can sound kind of distorted and subdued. And I know a lot of producers like use some weird and like wonky machines and filters or like put their music through like a tape deck to give it kind of that hissy kind of crushed vibe to it. 
I've also like noticed a lot recently, you know, like you'll hear a track and it kind of like you said has this airy nature to it and like halfway through the track some little like acid 303 line comes in. It seems to be like a really popular thing for a lot of people uh, making that music now. Samples are also really big in that world. Uh, I think a lot of the producers like to gravitate towards like throwback R&B and hip hop songs that they like put over a kick drum. It's like super simple and it resonates with the listener pretty quickly, I think. Yeah, I think one of the first reasons that it popped off like aside, YouTube algorithms aside was that um, it, it had this feeling like you were discovering something from a long time ago, like mm-hmm. that you were like finding this old tape or something like that, like yeah. just, just like Chill Wave was. Um, yeah, it definitely has like a nostalgic uh, vibe to it. I think a lot of the people making it like will go out of their way to drop a sample that's something that resonates with you from your youth or from the 90s for I think a lot of the people listening to it now who are millennials. Um, yeah. And can you give me a few names of people who are doing this? Because I think it, it's important yeah. to get those um, names I mean, in the there. first person I think I was really listening to who was making it was Mallgrab, who we've talked about on the cast a lot. Um, I'd say he's kind of started to gravitate away from it. Um, and he's just making a lot of different types of house and some more uh, kind of fiercer, like, techno-type beats. Um, but... There is DJ Seinfeld is one person who has become very popular. DJ Boring, who I don't know if they are related to each other. Maybe they're friends. Um, speaking of friends, you've got Ross from Friends. You've got Ross from Friends. Yeah, they're all... Sitcoms seem they big They just in this sit world. around and watch TV and make tracks, it seems. Uh, out of New York, uh, we have Baltra, who's really great. He's one of my favorite artists of the moment. Um He's another guy who I think is kind of going into different waters outside of the lo-fi world, but he definitely is one of the big um, big players in the scene. Who else? I'd say Yeji, some of her stuff kind of has a lo-fi vibe. Sure, she's, she's almost approaching it from a different angle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's something you, you've hinted at why I wanted to bring the lo-fi guys up right now, because they've been doing this for the last couple of years, and they're, what they brought to house music was this sort of, like, filtered underwater quality. But all of these people right now are sort of abandoning that, it seems like. Can you tell me what these people are up to right now and, and, and why now? Yeah, I don't know if I'd say, like, they're abandoning it. Um, maybe they're just experimenting a little bit or distancing themselves from it in some way. I'd say a lot of the tracks they're making still kind of have that vibe, but they're just taking a step outside of being like so firmly in that world. I'd say like most obviously one of the things I've been thinking about is like a lot of these people, we heard their tracks on YouTube and they were just, they weren't signed or anything. They were just like throwing them up on YouTube or throwing them up somewhere and somebody else was uploading it to YouTube and putting it over some weird video that got a million views or whatever. But now you're seeing a lot of them release on, you know, more proper labels. Um, DJ Boring just dropped a record on Let's Play House that we actually premiered on Thumb. Check our SoundCloud. Um, and you know, that's like a pretty famous house label out of New York city that doesn't really release a lot of stuff that sounds anything like that. So it's pretty interesting. And doesn't really release stuff that I consider to be like internet trendy, generally speaking. Yeah. It's definitely more of like a classic house, you know, like NYC house nineties vibe for the most part. Um, Baltra is another example who just 
made this like long form ambient track as part of uh, a Moog Fest collaboration with Raven, Revenge. Revenge, yeah, yeah, Revenge, of course. Um, and that you know, I mean, it kind of had maybe a little bit of that lo-fi aesthetic. Um, it was kind of sparse and minimal and had like that airy ethereal vibe, but you know, there wasn't really a kick drum in the whole thing. It was like an ambient piece. Um, and yeah, DJ Seinfeld's new stuff has also kind of gone into different waters. Another thing I think that's like important to note as these people have like gained in popularity, you know, people want to see them play and they're getting gigs and a lot of them have gotten very popular around the world in Europe. And if you watch their sets, you know, either live or on YouTube or listen to their mixes, a lot of them don't really play lo-fi at all. Lo-fi in itself isn't the best type of music to play in a club, especially if it's on a big sound system because the fidelity, as the name would suggest, isn't that high. Um, so, yeah, I found that a lot of Which means of them, that, like, all the sounds are going to sound muffled when you play them yeah, over, yeah, like, like I've, a proper I've played their system. records on, like, a big sound system, and it, it sounds super weird. It, that, that music is, like, supposed to be heard on iPhone earbuds from YouTube, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of them are pretty big crate diggers, I found. They'll play, like, soul and disco, really, like, fun music, which I think fits into their aesthetic. They all seem to be, like, pretty fun personalities, and I think, as producers, don't take themselves that seriously, which is kind of at the core, I think, of some of the earlier lo-fi productions. Maybe now that's changing um, a little bit. And Ross from Friends is an example. Like, he has a live band that he's been touring around the world and has been playing some really cool gigs and has, like, a pretty advanced setup that is not, you know, as simple and just kind of stripped down as his tracks are. Like, there's a lot more going on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be cool to see what happens in the future as, you know, trends in dance music move so fast, um, how this will continue to evolve and if it will just disappear completely. I, it makes me wonder if, like, Lo-Fi House ever existed to begin with. Yeah, it's all a dream. But speaking of, like, trends mo- moving really quickly in dance music, I mean, like, can we, like, maybe discuss whether it's just because Lo-Fi House is kind of getting played out? I mean, I don't think that the genre is completely spent. It's just, it became almost like a meme, <laughs> You would see all these like special lo-fi house like playlists on YouTube. And we even did a whole article about like how the genre plays really well into like, uh, you know, music streaming services like algorithms in order to get like more attention. Mm-hmm. It almost seems like the internet quality of lo-fi house ended up like sort of eating it, if that makes sense. When you have like a genre that's normal house music with like a simple shtick on it, I think it gets really easy for that to become something that people want to escape more than they want to embrace. Because mm-hmm. it kind of just becomes more of a punchline than any kind of like actual mode of expression or what have you. And from an artist's standpoint, like without that filter, like cutting off so many of their frequencies, they have a lot more room to do stuff that's like tied into the ideas that they're working with. Like I think the biggest thing that makes them interesting as house producers as they move into making just kind of like what we think of as standard house music is that they really do have that sense of humor. There's like a playfulness that, I don't know, people like maybe like it it puts them in line with people like Eli Escobar or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think think it's going to be interesting because I think a lot of them you know, they're very talented producers. They're good at, like, doing, making stuff that's creative kind of in its own way. And I think that's why it got popular. I mean, they're taking a lot of things that people already knew, whether it be samples, just like a rudimentary house beat, and they gave it life in a new way that, like, excited people. So I think if you have that skill and you can apply that in different ways, then 
it will potentially keep things going. And I also think just as far as a genre that's very sample-based, I mean, there's so many samples that an artist can use. And for me, at least, when I hear some new lo-fi tracks and there's like a new sample that resonates with me, it kind of like pulls me back in. And I think that saying that like the genre is just based on like one really simple filter effect maybe doesn't do it that much as much justice as it deserves. I mean, mm -hmm. you could say the same thing about like dubstep, you know, that it's just a sub bass and like low mm -hmm. frequencies, but like there's so much room for exploration within that still, yeah. which is why I think Lo-Fi House is not completely done. Oh, it's definitely not done. We'll hear more from them soon. Along the lines of what David was saying about Baltra moving into making ambient stuff, that's the second thing that I wanted to talk about is that um, there seems to be a generation of house producers who have made and DJed house tracks for their entire careers who are um, slowly discovering and playing and making ambient compositions on their own. And maybe it's something that's been in them all along and maybe it hasn't. But I know that you have a lot of feelings about this, Michelle. <laughs> I, I guess I want to ask when you first experienced this, because you've been saying to me for a while in all of our pitch meetings that like this is a trend, like we have to talk about all these people making ambient music now. When was that? When did that first spark in your mind? Well, I guess there have been articles about like the revival of ambient music for a couple of years, actually. So it's always been like, I guess, buzzing in the background of my head. But I guess the more recent uh, examples that I can think of is just going out and like going to raves and hearing ambient music being played um, and hearing people play ambient sets at like local clubs or, um, you know, there's a rave that I go to pretty frequently that even has like an entire ambient room where different DJs like play like chill out tracks with like pillows and stuff. In and No Way Back, which we talked about last week, always has a chill out room as right. well. Well, I mean, the whole idea of a chill out room like has um, a pretty long history in rave culture. It kind of started with uh, the Orb in the early 90s when they would like, they basically took over the VIP room of um, this club called Heaven where Paul Oakenfold was throwing a party and they <laughs> requested hospital beds to be brought in uh, so that people could lie down and they started playing, you know, what they called Ambient House back then. Um, and a couple years before that, um, the KLF had actually released a manifesto about um, Ambient House that had like, you know, a combination of like half-truths and jokes, basically defining what Ambient House was. And from there, it kind of took off throughout the 90s um, and, and really sort of hit its stride with the rise of like Acid House and like Shroom and all of those really psychedelic-based raves um, where I guess people are like more you know, inclined to go space out in the ambient right, room. Right, there was for a, a practical hours. purpose. Right, I, totally, totally. I mean, I think that that's like hugely important. Like when you go to these 15 hour raves, you cannot physically dance for that whole time. And so a lot of it is just like almost like a health thing. You need to like go chill out in the ambient room. So I guess, yeah, I started seeing people playing ambient more and like having special ambient rooms and then really sort of hit when Red Bull did like an ambient uh, special show as part of their music festival earlier this year. Um, and there was a really cool range of people who played, including Chino Omobi, who actually released um, an amb ambient album uh, last year, I think, called 
airport music for black folks and obviously that's a play on the Brian Brian Eno album and Brian Eno also just released um a new album I think a couple months ago um that people were talking about um and then of course there's the whole like you know pan records scene more experimentally like club music focused people who released an ambient compilation Mononoa Aware that got a lot of really good reviews so yeah I think that you, you see it happening on the ground in albums at shows and people are just in general I think more interested in ambient right now do you have any like hypotheses as to why now would be the moment I think in New York particularly, like techno has been really, really huge for the last two, three years. And the sound has been getting harder and harder and grittier and grittier and more intense. And so this is sort of a counter reaction to that, not necessarily in opposition to it, but, you know, in, in tangent with it. Um, as I said before, you know, you need to chill out when you're listening to like 160 BPM techno. Maybe also part of it has to do with the fact that like, Electronic music as a culture is maturing a little bit. Um, you know, we've seen EDM rise and fall, and we've seen, you know, Ed Movement this year. I've met a lot of kids who were, like, real heads. And, you know, a few years ago, they told me they were going to, like, Ultra and, like, listening to EDM. So I think that this idea that people are actually, like, becoming more sophisticated listeners um, could be argued. And... Um, you know, what I really like about listening to ambient at like a rave or a club is that they play it really fucking loud. Um, so it's not like, you know, you're listening to it on your headphones in the rain, like walking on the street, like super chill. Though I do love that experience totally. as well. <laughs> but like in a rave context, I feel like it makes you listen to the music in a different way. Um, it's a totally different way of listening. And I think that's really cool. Do you feel like people that come from a house or techno background approach ambient music differently, or specifically like the crew of people that are doing it right now. I'm thinking of like Huerco S and Baltra and Coton, who just released this album called New Tab or Studio mm -hmm. OST. I, feel, I, mm -hmm. I personally feel like they're doing something different with like what we think of as like quote unquote ambient music. What do you think they're doing different? Um, I, I think that you feel you can feel the cyclical nature of what mm -hmm. of the music yeah. that they've made made previously. Um, despite the fact that there's no drums, I think that they their brains almost seem wired to work in those patterns. Um, specifically, that Baltra composition, like David yeah. was saying, like it's 25 minutes long, and when you have a, like experimental composers working in such long form ways, they tend to like start at a point and move outward from that point and it doesn't like retain the traces of what happened at the beginning it's like yeah. it's like linear it's but more like a track i guess yeah, like a but, conventional house track right and Balcher's thing loops back on mm -hmm. the the ideas and refrains that it had before and i feel like that's pretty typical of a lot of these people and i think is probably in part why people latched onto the Horeco S album last year more than they have any other ambient album in recent memory is because there's almost hooks mm. like as much as an ambient album can have hooks and I mean that's for better and for worse I think that a lot of people like Brian Eno like when he was talking about his album that came out this year he sort of like shadily talked about um like not naming any names but saying that like what people are calling ambient music isn't what he imagined ambient music to be. And I think that this, the stuff that like house producers are making is probably what he's talking about, is that there is movement to it. There's like structure. There's oh just God, no drums. God, a genre sickler. Spare me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I think that that 
I mean, they these guys didn't invent this. There have been people like doing house music without drums since the '90s. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. as you're saying, like the Orb definitely had a lot to do with that. And oh yeah, I was going to mention the Orb also had their 25th year anniversary recently, mm-hmm. so I think part of that also contributed to this revival. I think also, I mean, people love a narrative, and people in a scene and p- consumers love a narrative, and the narrative of a bunch of people who make tracks as in dance tracks get collectively, you know, getting into ambient provides like a fun, compelling narrative, both for other producers and for their fans. And it has this cachet of, I don't, I don't want to say this in like a critical way, but this like kind of intellectual critical um, depth to it. Ambient music does in a way that maybe um, techno doesn't always have not that it not that I'm saying it's better or worse I'm just saying that as far as like this patina of intellectualism and serious music and focus and intensity and all that right it's I almost think, like sorry no you yeah, know I was just gonna say that I think that's something that a lot of these techno producers realized that they wanted to explore more deeply yeah I was going through like some of the tracks that I've been listening to recently because while preparing for DJ set a lot of the uh, examples that I could find had like an op- the opening track as the ambient track almost as like I said before like an artist statement um, like my girl Mfang the first track on her new album Symbolic Use of Light um, and, and the last track as well are both yep. sort of ambient there aren't a lot of drums on her record in general mm-hmm. yeah um, Gunnar Haslam also has like two tracks on like the uh, flip side of his new album, Peverlist, this uh, Berlin dude, Avion, like a lot of the techno people I found had um, really awesome. Oh, and obviously Vatican Shadow. I think that like makes total sense when you think about it because like um, Fang, for example, like plays like really hard music a lot of the time. So I feel like for those people, it's like it's a nice break, you know? Yeah. It's like they're pummeling like clubs all the time. Hard. Well, just in general, I mean, she's not playing like ambient music usually in a club. Coton she's actually playing, talked like, about this in the, in the statement about his album that, that just came out. Um, he was saying that like after having like the hardest touring year of his life and playing and making more like straight up dance music than he ever had, he just like retreated. Yeah. It was just like a way of like going back into himself was making this like ambient. But record. actually, I was going to say that another really interesting way that I think people are pushing the genre forward is by engaging with the outside world and like using really political samples. Um, specifically, I'm thinking about Chino Moby's Paradiso album, um, which is incredibly powerful. And it's sort of the opposite of a retreat. It's it's almost hmm. like a an attack, right? Or some kind of statement, at least. Because, you know, he had like... Um, samples of protests, samples of like gunfire, samples of like poetry, people saying really powerful things about like, um, you know, race and whatever. So, you know, I think that that's another way that ambient music has become politicized, which is really interesting. It's totally true. Even that Baltra thing, which we're, we were talking about, came out on a compilation called Peaceful Protest. Right. And, and it's not new for people to use like weird samples in ambient music. Like one of my favorite um, lines from this uh, great feature on ambient music that I read on Red Bull um, was that the orb would, you know, throw literally anything into one of their ambient tracks and sort of make it a joke. Like they had a sense of humor, which I think differentiated them from a lot of the ambient producers at the time, especially the ones in Germany. But they would use, you know, like whale noises and thunderstorms and sounds of astronauts in space and stuff like that. And now that almost seems like 
you know, whatever. But I guess at the time it was pretty groundbreaking. It was goofy for sure. And, and uh, ambient music definitely always has, like as was saying, like this like veneer of self-seriousness. I think a big point of entry for a lot of people of our generation as far as like ambient music kind of entering the pitchfork narrative blah 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 discourse was i think emerald's record um, does it look like i'm here yeah, that yeah that's the one that really had you know all this like kind of s- modular synthesis but also like these like really over the top like synth figures that where you could kind of like really feel I don't know, they just felt really tactile. And I think I think that kind of like showed a, a new generation that ambient music wasn't just this kind of like sleepy academic thing, but could be a really living, like a real living, breathing form of um, form of creative expression. That and 10 Tricks Point Never started this whole crossover between like popular independent music and the world of tapes and academia and all that. And that's what I love, that it can be so versatile. It can be seen as like the most, you know, pretentious academic thing ever, or it can be kind of goofy. And like, you know, my friend in that rave that I was talking about earlier, he would layer like samples from the real housewives, which like I I live, you know, when you hear that in the ambient room, it's amazing. So, you know, you can do so much with it. And it might be the most versatile genre in electronic music. Well, I mean, what is it really, right? It's just like any music that doesn't have kick drum. It's like such a wide range of possibility that you can, or doesn't have percussion, that you can consider ambient music. Well, according to you, not according to Brian, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, sure. But like music that people have self-styled as ambient music. I mean, for Brian, you know, definition is, of course, something that's like supposed to fade into the background, but... Clearly, that wasn't really how the Orb or the KLF saw it. Even I like a melody. I like yeah. a melody every now and then. Right. Cool. Well, I wanted to talk about the other side of like house music abstraction, um, something that we've seen a lot less of than the previous two things that we talked about, but um, something that I've been pretty excited about in the last couple of months, which is people that are taking like the sounds and grammars of house music to make something that sounds nothing like it. I wondered, Ezra, if you could give me a couple of examples of people that are doing that and where it's coming from. Yeah. Now, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this correctly, but Sunaret, that's S-U-N-A-R-E-H-T. And he's on a label called Paradox. And what he's doing is taking the tradition of French filter house and sample-based house music. Like Daft Punk. Right. And kind of like taking that to its logical conclusion where there's not like a whole lot of percussion. There's not really any bass. It's just these like samples, the real heart of the sample, like really short micro samples, the part that really gets you and just looping them over and over, kind of making this like fast paced barrage of of samples that like kind of mimic how like dance music, but without much else other than the sample itself. And one artist who's been pushing this really heavily is Techie Latex. He had this really neat idea that it's essentially is to French filter house what uh, Lorenzo Senni is to trance music. Basically what he does is he kind of zeroes in on this like really over the top like emotional um, emotionality and he takes it out of the context of like a tr- song structure and just kind of throws it in your face and it takes on this whole new kind of alien Existence, and that's kind of what these, what this producer and this, and the whole stable of the paradox label, that's paradox with an e on the end. That's what they're doing, and it, it's interesting because 
the f- whole tradition of French music is of French house music rather is this like really aggressive in your face approach to sampling, cutting things, chopping things. I mean, there's and there's there's decades of French house music based on this conceit, and it's really fascinating to see it like pushed into this abstract experimental space that's not even really designed for the dance floor, but just sort of like sounds really it just sounds cool it just sounds really interesting they feel totally free to just like take any they've they've grown up on this like wide-ranging diet of everything from like rap to baltimore club to like you know blog house whatever and that they have this just like really open-minded approach to sampling that's based off of that one of the things that's most exciting to me about the um sooneret EP especially is the like emotional effect of it. I feel like he's or they. I'm not sure if it's a man or a woman um, are sampling like the like the most like ecstatic parts of house tracks, like the the parts where you would be like like smiling and pumping your fist. But it, when that moment happens and is stretched out to like three minutes at a time, it becomes like skin crawling. It's like it's like really unsettling and like incredibly joyful at the same time. Which it's it's like not an emotional. Experience. Experience I get from music all that much. I also wanted to mention um, somebody who's doing something kind of similar. Uh, this guy who's from New York, I think his name is Durai. Um, he's signed to NNA Tapes or has released some stuff for them, and he put out this record or this tape last year called Housed, um, which I was totally blown away by at the time. Um, it took samples from over 250 different house songs and turned them into these like weird long experimental collages basically it's like takes like just a chord and then takes a chord from a completely different record and just stitches them together into like one really long composition as if you just like scrambled like your whole record collection into into one record but still somehow I mean, it is a little crazy sounding, but it's 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 makes sense somehow. Like the, the logic is is a little out there, but um, you can still feel the emotionality of like a Fender Rhodes chord buried deep in this string of other chords. It's it's really wild, and I would recommend that people check that out as well. Cool. Well, I guess that's all we have today. You've been listening to The Thump Podcast, a production of Vice Media and Thump. Uh, On the boards is Tim Barnes, who's on Twitter at TimBarnes451. Our theme music is by Lorna Dune. You can find her on Bandcamp at lornadune.bandcamp.com. This episode has been edited by Rob Schulte. You can read more about house music at thump.vice.com or on our Twitter, which is at thumpthump or at facebook.com slash thumpthump. Listen to more episodes of the Thump podcast on soundcloud.com slash thump or give us a rating and subscribe over at iTunes. Everyone here, you want to let people know where they can find you on the internet. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Ezra underscore Mark. At DL Garber. Peace. <laughs> Michelle Luke. And I'm at Outta Sight Outta. All right, that's all. Uh, Have a good one, and remember that house is a feeling. (laughs) 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.